All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, SEC after dark time, third Sunday in October time. Hey guys, that was almost fun time. But then it wasn't time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan. Coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Monday afternoon, recording this live. We usually have a Monday morning podcast, but, you know, fellas, uh, that that game Saturday uh, was interesting. That was a 9 p.m. Eastern kickoff, so long story short, we got back to the hotel in, in Trustful at what time? Maybe almost long, 3 a.m.? Long story, that day. Yes. Yeah, felt like that game was never going to get there. Even when we got, even when we got to the press box at Bryant Denny, it was like, oh, there's still like two hours left. Did a Pac, did a Pac-12 game just start? Wow, what's happening? Yeah, you're, you're checking. You you know it's bad when on the drive home, you're checking the scores and you see that the Hawaii game is finished. Yeah, it was after. You know how bad. You know how late it point. is. You know how late your game that you covered is when you when you're doing that. It was SEC after dark. Yeah, it was. It was. It was 3 p.m. And in some cases, in the dark, thanks to Alabama's lighting system. <laughs> a little bit 3 a.m. Uh, Eastern or so by the time we arrived back, a little after 3 a.m. Eastern back at the hotel. So uh, Sunday we had to get up after just a few hours and drove back. So if we had recorded that Sunday night or early Monday morning. Uh, we would have been some grumpy bears. However, uh, I think we're we're still kind of grumpy, maybe you would say, but uh, but okay, maybe one more good night's sleep and we'll be all right. No one cares about us. People care about the Tennessee football team. And guys, uh, we have a ton, a ton to discuss from that football game. We um, thought this would be a game we like glossed over, you know, a few days ago. If we were guessing what we were talking about on Monday, it would it would have probably been like, okay, Alabama won big. Let's move on to South yeah, Carolina. Yeah, Wes was saying that. To Tennessee shouldn't even play its best quarterback. Well, maybe that's, a, what, that's what the thought was going into the game. Maybe they shouldn't have, but for maybe they different shouldn't reasons. have for reasons that I also mentioned in that column. Uh, but I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to say I told you so when you're talking about a player's health, especially with his head, because that uh, that's that's not fun. That's not fun. We have a lot to talk about with that, guys. We're going to break this down into a, a few segments, as always. Uh, basically, I, I think the way we sort of described that game, there were sort of three important things to discuss you had the performance itself the fumble and everyone knows what the fumble is and then the referees and we will have plenty to discuss there we're going to talk about the performance first if you had told me going into the game that it would be Alabama 35 Tennessee 13 uh, I would have said that seems maybe appropriate maybe that could happen but the way that it got there was the the highly unusual part and Tennessee actually played pretty pretty good football in that game. I don't want to say that it was great um, because there was obviously a lot more they could do. But, guys, I think in terms of the overall 60-minute performance, that's that's a not a win, but that's a big step forward for Tennessee. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to view it as a step forward, and I think it's fair to say that, that – Jeremy Pruitt and the rest of the coaching staff had a good game plan, and and they had this. They have this team playing hard. This team competed. They didn't back down. They maybe were a little bit intimidated right off the bat. They didn't have a great start to the game with uh, a poor kickoff return, a quick mm. three and out, um, and, and that that three and out ended with really the only 
inaccurate throw that Brian Maurer had all game. I think he was five of seven. Yep. Uh, missed that early throw to, to Juwan Jennings on, on third down, but I think his other throws were pretty sharp and his interception wasn't really on him. So, um, you know, they, they go down quickly, but I, I really think that the big play in the game might have been the uh, interception by Nigel Warrior. I think that sparked a little bit of belief in this team. It did. Uh, if you go down 14 nothing there, it would have been like, what, seven, eight minutes into the game? It would have been like, oh, okay, all right, well, this is, this is what everybody expected. So you settle into the usual course of, of action. But uh, he makes that play, they go down and score, and that, I think that injected a whole lot of belief in, in this team. And you could see it on the sideline when uh, Tim Jordan's breaking a run through the – uh, down the down the sideline, I think early in the second quarter, and, and half the sidelines like running down there with him, trying to you know get him to get yeah. to the edge and will him to the edge there. Uh, you can kind of see, but uh, the way they kept playing, I mean, and, and you get to the end of the day, I don't know, you know, obviously a big play and a big story in the game was Tua Tonga Bailoa going out, but you know Tennessee was playing with a backup quarterback as well. Let's not let's not overlook that, but and uh, uh, a two hundred eighteen pound inside linebacker. Yeah, maybe you, you just you think <laughs> about how how many things Tennessee had to overcome in that game. They didn't have Henry Toto to start. Uh, they lose Daniel Batuli on a targeting penalty. Two guys they can't lose. Period. They lose Brian Maurer, who clearly uh, you know had who was off to a pretty good start in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, they overcome all of those things, and they get down to the fourth quarter, and they're six inches away from. I mean, it would have been an eight-point game. It would have been one-possession game. You know, I always that say that stadium was nervous, Patrick. That, I, that I, stadium was nervous. I always say you're one. You know, you're in the game if you're one play from being one play away. And Tennessee was six inches from being one play away. And if Tennessee scores there and it's twenty-eight twenty, you're right, Wes. That that stadium would have been the bucker factor would have been oh yeah beyond they're, they're because they're they, not used to close games there, and they're not well, used and they're not used to seeing a quarterback who and Mac Jones was looked like he was. Deer in the headlights. He looked like he was yeah. a little bit out of his depth there. Alabama with Tua, that fan base would not have been that nervous. But with Mac Jones at quarterback, they would have been very nervous. And it might not that. have. And it might not have been a one score game if Tua had played. Yeah, uh, they. Tennessee oh, I did, definitely don't think it would have. Tennessee didn't really offer a whole lot of resistance when he was in there. Yeah, his uh, RPO game is ridiculous. Uh, but you know, you, you you look at all the things that Tennessee had to overcome, and you know, losing some guys, the officiating, which we're going to get to, was just awful. Um. And they had a chance. They gave themselves a chance to, uh, you know, to to be in that game in the fourth quarter. I don't think anybody would have thought that. Um, and, and Pruitt said Monday that you know they did a great job. They didn't always play clean, but they played hard and got themselves into the position where uh, they were in the game. And then you know they just didn't finish it there. You know, you make the mistake, uh, or one guy makes a mistake. We'll get to that too. But um, you just, yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of another step in the right direction. I think for for this team and this program for them to go down there, have a competitive showing, leave a lot out there and, and, and maybe inspire a lot of people. They were getting a lot of, you know, I think a lot of people just from reading our message board and Twitter were a lot of fans seem to be, I was like fired up about, about everything that happened, whether it was the officiating, whether it was the way that how hard the team was playing, they seemed to uh, inspire and, and, and earn some, Accommodations for how they played. They, they, yeah, they. I think they sucked back a lot of fans who would, had given up on this season a few weeks ago. You know, they brought them back in with that performance because they're. You're right. It, it. We saw a level of engagement from this game that we hadn't seen uh, in in recent weeks, and maybe that's part of that's just playing Alabama. But also, yeah, I think people kind of br- got brought back in by just this performance and saying, "Hey, this team is right there. They're on the verge of really uh, turning a corner and, and starting to to have an upward upward swing here to end the season." So. 
Um, I, I think it was a, a good performance, but I do think you make a good point that with, with Tua being out, I mean, you do have to kind of view it through that lens because if he plays the whole game, I can't imagine this would have been that close yeah, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, but Tennessee probably scores more points with Brian Maurer in yeah. the game. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, so that, that's sure. that's the other – that's the other – you know, it's easy to say that, uh, you know, Alabama didn't have Tua, but – And Tua didn't face a Tennessee defense with either – with both yeah, of its I mean, best inside linebackers either, t- and that's a huge deal for I Tennessee. Mean, ten- yeah, Tennessee, you know, Tennessee didn't have Toa Toa. They didn't have Batuli for a stre- – or for most of the game. Um, and you know, y- you want to get into who 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 did who didn't have who? It's part of the game. I mean, I mean Alabama yeah. had you know their two inside linebackers hurt too, but you had who you had, and yeah, I, I think when 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 Tua did go out, I think Tennessee's defense took the exact proper approach, and that was good coaching. And they were throwing all sorts of junk and disguised mm-hmm. defenses uh, and disguised pressures. Um, and, and they had that stuff ready to go because they yeah. would not have used that stuff against. Tua, but when that game adjusted, <laughs> yeah, they were prepared and, for that. And it felt like it felt like Alabama went into the sort of the Tennessee kind of uh, – they went a little conservative. They took the Tennessee versus Mississippi State approach and said, okay, we're not going to put too much on Jones. Uh, we're going to try to run the ball and rely on our defense. And it kind of worked. I mean, ten, I mean, they, they put together one drive, and that one drive was at one point stopped and should have been stopped. Um but yeah, I mean, you, you look at when they brought Jones in the game, third and long. They're, you know, they're they're showing one blitz and they bring the other guy, you know, bring other guys. They show one blitz off the side and bring everybody off that side. So I I think and and again, I thought Jim Chaney called a great game. Um, they ran the ball really well. Chaney had some some plays drawn up that should have been executed correctly uh, that weren't. And and those were the little plays in the game. But you see that you know Tennessee with this roster, I think their travel roster had what three non specialist walk-ons i mean that's yeah i mean they're, they're that's where they are in the numbers situation is what it is with some of the injuries and uh some of the guys that are sitting out or whatever but uh and for them to go in there and, and yeah you take two out of the equation but alabama still has more talent than what everybody yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean all i mean clemson I mean, the, the, clemson and lsu were there ohio state's not far yeah, behind they, i mean they're they're you, not they're, yeah you, you but, take, but they are the most talented take team two in college football the, I take two out of the equation they still have those receivers and they got Devonte smith back in the second half right um, one of the best well, he knocked out Judy for a little while. Too. One of the best wide receiver cores that I've seen in college football I mean, is on that team right now. That Alabama team, the wide receivers are just insane. Judy is is like a cheat code man. I mean, they're still loaded up front. They've got Terrell Lewis is a great pass rusher. They've got great defensive backs. Made some, you know, they made some good plays uh, there. And and you know, I, I don't think Tennessee, you know, Tennessee didn't back down. They didn't they didn't play like a team that was thought it. They didn't play like a team that viewed itself as a 35-point underdog. Yeah, if if, ten, if there had not been the uh, a couple of the key decisions and things that lots talk about later, you know, the, the the Taylor penalty was a killer, the the Garantano fumble was a killer. Uh, if you had had removed those things from it, to me, the absolute signature story for Tennessee from this game is it's a close game. It's in the close-ish game. It's in the fourth quarter at Brian Denny Stadium. Tennessee is controlling comprehensively controlling the line of scrimmage against at Alabama of all teams and I know this is not the uh, certainly the best Alabama team that, that you're going to see defensively I mean they got a lot of good players but that front seven is just pretty good it's not you know it's not otherworldly good it's not oh my gosh how can anybody run on this team or, or, or do anything but it's still a really really good squad basically and in that game Tennessee took the ball, rolled up its sleeves, and went at Alabama on the line of scrimmage and won a lot of battles. Let's just stop right there 
and think about the last time you can say that actually happened. And not not spreading the field and getting some, you know, creating some leverage situations and kind of misdirection stuff. I'm talking pure roll up the sleeves, come at you, running game. And they they got success doing it. Both of Tennessee's starting running backs, or, or, or their, their, their top two running backs, both averaged at least 5.5 yards per carry in that football game against Alabama at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And, and I'm not trying to say it's okay when you lose by 22 points. It's, it's not okay. It's not okay. There's a lot of things they could have controlled. There's some things they need to clean up. Uh, I don't care what you say about the refs. They need to be more disciplined. This team uh, was the least penalized team in the SEC coming into the game in terms of numbers, but when they get penalties, they're in bad spots and they're big penalties, and, and they got to cut that stuff out. There's a couple of uh, – they, ha- they had a cover two moment against the best wide receiver in college football, and one guy didn't get his half of the field, one of the safeties. So you had two of the best receivers in college football streaking down the sideline with one safety trying to figure out who he's going to go cover. You can't do that stuff. But just in terms of the base fundamental expectation, can you go out there and compete? And if you do, if you do that, I almost said doo-doo. If you do that, can you be effective against anyone? And they showed they can be. And that, to me, is a huge step forward for Tennessee because there have been a lot of times over the past decade where, fellas, we couldn't say that, right? I mean, I'm not wrong there, am I? No. Feel free to tell me if I'm wrong. I just – the way they played up front gives them a chance now. It does. I, I, I'm most stunned by the defensive line. We kind of, I mean, you could kind of see this as a possibility going into the season with the offensive line. Now, not with the lack of continuity they've had because they've almost changed the lineup every week. They've had six different lineups in seven games now, but – They've still they, they've gotten some some continuity in four of those positions at least recently with you know Wanye Morris and Darnell Wright have settled in at the two tackle spots. Trey Smith has obviously been a, a constant presence there at left guard, and then Brandon Kennedy's you know Jeremy Pruitt's mentioned before played pretty well at center. So you've had those four guys kind of stationed in there, and then right guard's been uh, for the most part the one uncertain spot recently. But they've they've managed to do well there. But that's. That that it was sort of set up for that way with Trey Smith coming back and having to knock off Russ, those two freshmen getting up to speed over over the course of time. You know that that all makes sense. Those guys have gotten better. I'm surprised the defensive line has gotten this respectable. I I, I thought that group would have trouble all season, frankly, and uh, and think they're playing reasonably well. And if they continue that, that's a big deal because Tennessee can can play some low-scoring games if needed down the stretch like they did against Mississippi State. And, and Kevon Bennett made some – that outside linebacker made some really nice yeah. plays in that game too. And and, and now you do have to preface that with saying, you know, Alabama's defense is not the Alabama defense we're used to seeing. This is an Alabama defense that statistically in a lot of categories ranks. It's just okay. Yeah, it's about, you know, not quite middle of the pack, but just above middle of the pack nationally in a lot of stat categories. Sacks, all that stuff. Their scoring defense numbers were only respectable because of yeah. a couple of non-SEC games. Dylan Moses' injury was huge for them. Yeah, and so their they're, they're two freshmen inside linebackers play a part in that. They've still got a good defensive line. You know, that LeBron Ray is also out for them on the defensive line, so they, they're missing some guys there. But that's still a, I mean, still a talented team, and being able to run for 100 yards against Alabama is, is never, a, never a bad thing. And like you said, Tim Jordan, you know, the – we, we've said it before. There are some games that just aren't well-suited for a guy like him, but that, that game Saturday was clearly a game that was well-suited for him, and, and he they just kind of went with the hot hand and used him for most of the game, and he was very effective, and, and give him credit. He's played well here the last few weeks, and that's that's all stuff Tennessee can build on and that they need to continue as they get into the stretch of the season that obviously will, will make or break their season. Yeah, yeah, and Jordan's an interesting case, Ryan, because uh, you know, about a month ago he was, you know, there were those rumors about him going into the portal, and, and they weren't. 
they weren't necessarily off the mark at the time, but you know, mm-hmm. guys get itching to maybe look around and then they change their minds. It's it's a lot more common. It's become a lot more You see the sun setting you see the sun setting on your career as an upperclassman <clears throat> you, and you, you you there's a lot it, it's become a lot more public now some of these things because of the portal. Um where some you know, sometimes guys at some point say, Hey, I'm gonna leave, but then they change their minds. It happens. It's always happened. Um but yeah, it, the defensive line to me, Ryan, is they're they're getting solid play. It's inconsistent. Yeah, you know they still gave up five yards to carry to, to Alabama's running backs, but right. they, it's they, a good offensive line. You, though. Yeah, but you see, uh, you see a lot of guys making plays. You see Daryl Middleton making plays. You see Greg Emerson getting in the backfield and, and disrupting some things, hurting Tua. Uh, yeah, <laughs> with I mean, not a dirty play either. No, I mean he, you know, but that was a play where you know Kevon Bennett, as you mentioned, West fleshed him out. Bennett had a nice play on a uh, one of their tackles for loss in the run game. He set the edge really good and got in the backfield and sort of disrupted that. So. Uh, they're getting decent play from from the front uh, defensively, and then uh, you know had a couple of defensive backs make some plays. And and uh, this this is the toughest matchup Tennessee secondary have all season. And and it's hard for me to get too it's hard for me to go too much on on all of these penalties. You you look at a team and say, oh, they had thirteen penalties. It's not a very well coached team. In a, in a game like this, first of all, some of those penalties were iffy. Let's be honest. Uh, and secondly, a lot of the, a lot of the penalties. You know, it'd be it makes sense for Tennessee to have a lot of penalties against Alabama just because the talent disparity. Alabama's got better players. Yes, in a lot of different situations, you're going to have to grab and hold uh, because they're you know, going to run if, by if you. You're if defen- you yeah, if you're a defensive back, you you know you, you're going to have to do that to, to to cover your wide receivers. You're going to have to hold a guy on the edge, blocking because he's stronger than you, and you know whatever. But overall, I think you continue to see improvement you you continue to see that this team is getting better they're playing harder um they're making strides and I mean, Pruitt said it Monday that you know he thinks that the staff and the, and the players have done an excellent job of sticking together after the worst possible start anyone could have envisioned to the season and and now they're starting to to make tangible strides uh and now the next step is is results and they have to find ways to to win football games and they have a few down the stretch here that uh certainly will be winnable if Tennessee plays like they're capable of playing in terms of the effort and toughness and all that stuff. And if they can add execution and play clean football, then they will give themselves a chance to, uh, to win a lot of games these last five. Yeah. I think that the, 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 the key thing here is the response to this, because, you know, you, you, you build up to a game like that against Alabama, you know, you get it in your head that, Hey, you know, if all these things happen, it can be a competitive game. And then you're, you're right there. And then it just collapses the way it does. That's the kind of thing that really kind of tests your mettle as a team. It, it, it really – you find out who's tough when things like that happen. And I think we're going to find out now uh, this week if Tennessee's tough because South Carolina uh, has, has been playing a lot better football too. And South Carolina went to Georgia and beat Georgia, had a chance against Florida last week, uh, and then some decisions happened that were kind of surprising also in that game. And, and it is what it is, but they're playing hard. They then, have a good defense. They have a good defensive line. They are they are you know scrounging up and, and creating some things on offense. They're they're a tough team, and we all know that Tennessee and Will Muschamp how that goes. They just scored what twenty seven points against a Florida team that allowed three against Tennessee. Yeah, I mean so. they're, they're playing good football, and, and and so this is a test that if Tennessee thinks that you know Alabama's gone, it'll be a little easier now. No, it won't be. It won't be because if this team lets up just a little bit you're going to start seeing the Georgia State BYU stuff again. If they keep going forward, they have a chance to do some things. So that's 
sort of where I think they are. But I, bottom line is, guys, before we predict on whether they're going to how they're going to respond to it, I think we have to note that that is that is better. They are getting better. This is not the same team that played the first two games of the season. And you are what your record says you are, but this team is playing better football and it is going somewhere better, I think. I, I really say it's the first game of the season, though, that looked different. I, I think even against BYU, they were they were noticeably different, and that's been much more like the team we've seen the rest of the year. They just didn't do enough at quarterback to win that game, and they gave up a, a dumb play in the final minute. So really, when, when you go back and look at this season, if they play the rest of the season the way they've been playing the last three weeks, we will look back at the Georgia State game as kind of the one outlier for an otherwise solid team. And that that won't be such a bad thing in year two under Jeremy Pruitt. But, it, yeah, it is going to be about how much they can get done down the stretch because now they've shown the potential, and that's been fine against Georgia and Alabama. And obviously it got them a win against Mississippi State, but now it needs to get them a few more wins. And, and they've got to take advantage of some opportunities because this schedule – you know, beyond South Carolina gets even friendlier in a way down the stretch and they've got to take advantage of those opportunities. And this, this could be a bold team. Now that Mississippi state win gave this team an opportunity to play its way into the postseason. Now let's see if they can take advantage of this opportunity. Then this, and this sort of second life they've gotten from, uh, from the emergence of Brian Maurer and the improvement they've made on, on the two lines of scrimmage. Now the, the, there's one, um, one common denominator between where that BYU game started going wrong and where that Alabama game started going wrong. And uh, I think y'all probably know what it is, and we're going to go to break real quick. We're going to come back uh, and discuss that. So uh, let's go Let's go pay some bills. Let's go uh, perhaps hear some ads, uh, some products and services and in-house ads and all those things, and then we will come back in just one second and discuss um, a, a guy who I, I would not trade places with right now. Hashtag uh... Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Good Balls 24-7 podcast. West Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Monday afternoon. All things go according to plan. You will be hearing this uh, available to you on Monday afternoon or early Monday evening, depending on if these two yahoos screw up something and I have to go back and edit it out. I don't know if you know this, but Ryan just cusses all the time, and we have to go back and edit it. It takes forever. I mean, just he says the most unconscionable things imaginable. Consciously. Just, 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 they just stream of stream of thought. You don't want to know what's in that guy's head, folks. Uh, said going into the break that there was something between the BYU game and the Bama game that that had a, a common denominator. Uh, when Tennessee had control of the game against BYU, is sitting there, drive, you know, got the ball third quarter, everything's going fine. Boom, uh, an interception for no reason thrown by Jared Garantano that just completely turned that game on its head. Uh, of course, we all know the defense ended up making the final mistake, but but that's where things started going wrong in that game. Uh, and then Tennessee drives the ball, uh, I guess it's 14 plays, 66 yards, more than eight minutes of clock expired, has the ball at the, the six-inch line uh, going in for possibly a touchdown to make it a one-score game at Bryant-Denny Stadium midway through the fourth quarter. And they go up to the line, 
they have their big package in there with uh, Quivar's crouch you linebacker. Just, you said big package. That's what it is at <laughs> running back. And they call. I can't let. I can't like not point that. They out. call. And, I, and they, I'm the one that y'all have to censor. They call essentially the a power play to the left side, going between kind of the left guard and left tackle there, right off the right off the edge. And uh, that play, had it been run, was a walk in touchdown where Crouch could have turned around, uh, put a piece of gum in his mouth, and then moonwalked into the end zone. Probably that's how wide open the crater was. Uh, but Jared Garantano, who was in for an injured Brian Mauer again decided that he was going to try a sneak when no one else on the team thought a quarterback sneak was coming. Uh, it wasn't blocked that way. Uh, the play wasn't designed that way. He tries to go over the top with the ball, so they didn't just get stuffed. The ball bump bounces into the end zone. The fastest player on the field picks the ball up, runs 100 yards the other way, and that is the ball game. And I got to tell you, it's very, it, it was a very Tennessee play. It, it, that's what I said in the column, that if it were any more Tennessee, it would have won Texas's independence. But if, if I, I think about Garantano and I think about what he's going through, and I know a couple things. One, that kid tries extremely hard. Two, that kid works every day to try to be a better player. Um, but three, he has some self-destructive tendencies as a player and I have no idea what's going through his head in that moment because that was an absolutely wretched decision at an absolutely wretched time, and it will forever be a part of his legacy uh, at Tennessee. And I, I hate that because I know what Crompton's gone through. I know what, to a much lesser extent, Garantano's gone through. I know what Tennessee quarterbacks who are struggling go through. I understand it. I've seen it. It is awful. But you have to call things what they are, and that was truly, truly terrible in every way. It was just a colossal, colossal brain cramp at a bad time. And, and I was just going to ask, is is this the play that we're going to remember Jarrett Garantano for most now? Probably. And that, that's, a, that's an unfortunate deal, especially because it looks like there's a real possibility this might be his final year at Tennessee if things don't change here down the stretch. I mean, that's projecting a little bit, but there's obviously a very real possibility that he could – see the writing on the wall if Brian Maurer is still the guy at the end of the year and says, you know, I can be a grad transfer and go elsewhere. Let's let's move on, and, and you hate to see that. But for now, hey, Tennessee might need him again here down the stretch. They've needed him the last few games, and they might need him again in a big way Saturday against South Carolina. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll spend the, the final part of the segment talking about that because that's a really, really tough decision I think that Pruitt has to make this week for very, very obvious reasons. Um, but some people don't think it's a tough decision, so I think that's going to be a fun thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I do – want to say we need to discuss what is going through his head. If you're going to call a quarterback sneak, if you're going to change that play, that's fine. But call the audible at the line. Let people know what you're doing before you go out there and do it. That yeah. That is, you know, and you said this before, that we've mentioned this before, that, that some of the checks Garantano makes, they gave him the keys to the offense, and I think they're kind of regretting it because – He's made some checks that, that have not made sense uh, for, for Tennessee, and, and, and the results have, have struggled some as a result. But at the very least, you have to tell people what play you're running. You have to tell your own guys. Well, he was the other side of that, though, is he was trying to, and that, that's the part that made no sense, like to run one play while the rest of your team is running another just doesn't, doesn't work a lot of times for, for an obvious reason. And, but he was trying to catch them off guard, clearly. They were trying to sort of rush to the line a little bit. Yes, which he, I said to do, but but that run the play correctly. Yeah, and, and if they rush to the line and run the right play, like you said, it's a walk-in touchdown. So they 
they had an opportunity there. Uh, it's always easier as a quarterback just to go with what you're supposed to do, and that's much easier to defend. If he makes – here's the thing. Have we seen plays like that before where maybe he's made a play and it was freelancing and it worked? You know, is this just the first time we've noticed it, or is this a truly rogue moment that's the only – it's an isolated incident, the only time he's ever done it? You know, it's hard to say for sure what the history is there, but – I would assume this is the first time we've seen this from him, and it's just puzzling in that situation, and you wonder what led to it. Was there some frustration I mean, we, bubbling we, under the surface there? We've also uh, seen I, Jim I, Chaney. On, we, we, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the only person who knows what was going through Jared Garantano's head in that moment is Jared Garantano. Yeah. And we'll he's never, never know because we'll never he, get to talk to him again. He's not going to talk again um, at this point. And I, people are assuming different things about why he did it. Oh, it's you know he's frustrated. He's mad about this. Blah blah. blah. I don't believe, I don't buy any of that. I don't buy any of it either. He's trying to make a play. I mean, he wants to win. He wants to, you know he. he there's there's no ulterior motives. Well, he's auditioning for his next job, even if he's not at Tennessee next year. So he's got a, he's got plenty of motivation to so, do the right thing. I think yeah. he wants to win for his guys now that too. too. I mean, yeah. I I think he he loves his teammates. I've always said that. I mean, I I I he the guy tries hard uh, because he wants to be a good player, but he also wants to be a good teammate. Um, and, and but we saw Jim Cheney in a couple in a game earlier this season almost punched through the press box glass because he was so angry about some of the checks Garantano was making at the line. So this frustration has been building with him making these decisions. I think. Well, I mean, but yeah, I mean, but he gets to the line. He gets to the line. Maybe he sees that he can just Drew Brees and jump up and stick the ball over the line. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's not like you have to put the ball down. It's not rugby where you have to put the ball down in the end zone for what they call a try. Yeah. Um, you just have to break the plane, and. That's that's all he's trying to do now. Look at you flexing your rugby muscles. Hey, the World Cup's going on. Semifinals next weekend. Get yep. ready. Um, the uh, yeah, I, I, there, I don't think there's any sort of ulterior motives, which a lot of people are really you know downright hate the kid at this point, and will yeah. believe that, which is unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but it's also it's kind of the bed that Garantano has made for himself. Fair or not, that's it's a big boy position. You gotta you know you gotta take the heat when you're in the kitchen, and he's. Turned up a lot of things, turned up a lot of the appliances in the kitchen to make it hot in there for himself. So uh, I don't envy his situation at all. Um, and, and I do think it's interesting that the way that Jeremy Pruitt handled it publicly on Monday, saying we moved on, everybody knows what happened, it's water under the bridge, we talked about it, you know, uh, all, all these things, and trying to sp- spin it forward and say, you know, we need this guy. And I know we're going to get into that discussion, but. Uh, there's a chance Garantano could start against South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to win the game, you start him. If Brian Maurer can't go, well, I think first off, before not we, to get not to get ahead of where no, we're going, no, cause, no, because I want I want to talk about that too. Because, of, but but I I just to me I've been this is what I, I kept thinking, you know, during part of that drive back on, on Sunday. Deep thoughts with Russ Rucker, basically, at yeah, four a.m. Because I I kept getting back to 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 one thought, and that's. If you're going to run a quarterback sneak, why in the name of everything holy do you call a quarterback sneak where Trey Smith well, first of all, is it, pulling? It's pretty clear that they didn't call a quarterback but sneak. But no, but in your head, like, or, or you're a quarterback. I mean, he, he's a quarterback. He called the play because he called it in his own head, and that's what he ran because the, the play you're running is the play the quarterback runs. That's his decision, I guess. But he had Trey Smith, who is six foot five, 320 pounds of just pure destruction. He had him getting up and out of his stance and moving to go pull to hit a defensive end. When well, he, the, the way they the way they unbelievable. had it, unbelievable. Um, I just I can't I can't I I don't understand on what planet that makes sense. Well, we again 
the only person that knows what was going through his head is is Derek Garantano. And uh, the, on that play, they had three guys. They had three guys on the left side. They had Trey Smith at left guard, Wanya Morris at left tackle, and they brought Karon Calvert. Um, and they were they were rolling. Uh, they pulled Smith out. The two guys on the end of the line blocked down. Um, and, and it was a smart call because the way they did it, they kind of loosely huddled, got up to the line quickly. That makes you think it's going to be a quarterback sneak. Alabama thought it was a quarterback sneak because they had two guys go right up the A-gap. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you run it off tackle behind your uh, – I can't do the math in my head. We need Haynes to ask us how you know, yeah. what's the average weight of the offensive line on the left side. But Karon Calvert's 330, Wanye's 313, Trey's 325. Three, he's big. Uh, you got a lot of beef over there, and so it makes sense to run behind those guys. But it doesn't make sense. I, I We're never going to know what he was thinking. We're never going to know if he just saw, got to the line, thought that, hey, it's six inches away, I can just take the snap, reach the ball over, be done. Uh, we'll, we'll, just, we'll never know what he was thinking at that moment. But it's clear that two things are clear to me. First of all is that they had a run play called because that's what everybody else did except two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after the game, it was very much a we're covering. We're not going to throw this guy under the bus, and they still have not thrown this guy under the bus. And no. that went from Pruitt. That went, you know, Trey Smith, Brandon Kennedy talked about it. Uh, they said, you know, we had a play called for the offensive line. They blocked what was called. They didn't know what happened. Um, so, which is, you know, the miscommunication was Garantano did what he thought would score a touchdown, mm-hmm. but nobody else. Everybody else was running a different play. So he caught a quarterback sneak where um, he had the three hundred thirty pound monster go to the left. That's unbelievable. It, it, it was not a called quarterback sneak. I think he just improvised. That's what I mean. But like, what what goes through your head to make that decision? I just I don't I don't. It eludes me. It like, really does. Yeah. You like, go if you're going to sneak, you sneak behind Trey Smith. You take chances. That's what you do. That's what you do. He he is your mover of men up front. He's starting to play his good football again, which means he's obliterating some people at the line of scrimmage. You take the ball from Brandon Kennedy, you go to your left, and you reach toward the, the end line. I mean, that that it, it's, Here, it, it baffles here's me. Here's the other thing. It, it, to me, it shows almost a lack of belief in his teammates because when you think about what's maybe causing uh, a guy. You're getting into the well, ulterior motive no, conspiracy no, tinfoil hat there, No, right? not really, Come not on. really. But think about what, what you're saying here. A guy is saying that, you know what, I'm not sure we can score unless I do something unusual. He's saying, we've gotten stuffed here at the half-yard line. If we just run this play, we're going to get stopped again, so I better do something. That's what he's really saying. And if saying. he improvises and sticks the ball over the goal line right. for a touchdown. He's the hero. Yeah, I mean, that, that he's not out here saying, I don't believe in my team. Well, no, but I'm just, saying, so, I'm just saying subconsciously, that's what he's saying is, I don't know if we can line up here and run it on Alabama. I don't think this play call is going to work. That's, that's really what he's saying deep down. I'm not saying it's an ulterior motive or any of that stuff. That's I'm not, just, that's deep down and what he's thinking, and that, that sounds like an ulterior motive <laughs> to me. No, I, 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 I think that, that you know, because we could go Zapruder film on this all day. Because this is not like he, it's but, not like he's been contemplating in the, in the entire, no, oh, ooh, no. I'm going to run a quarterback I, sneak. I, I, I don't just like think this he, play call. I think he thought it was a good idea, and he, that's he, he what shocks got, me. He got to the line and said, hey, I can just take the snap, stick the ball over. We're right there. I mean, that's – and this is going to be seen as defending the kid, and everybody hates the kid right now, so I'm you know, people are going to throw heat. Send I, your hate mail to I, – I gave the quarterbacks a C in this week's report card. People thought I was crazy. Way too nice. Uh, well, uh, two other quarterbacks played in the game, first <laughs> of all. Um, second of all – Cantana did do some things. You yeah, know, he he did. You know, he made three passes on third down. 
um, that kept drives alive. He did miss the, the play to Juwan Jennings, which was a huge play at the time. It should have been 14-14. I mean, in the that, he quarter. was so open. That, that was, was such a, a beautiful double move. Yes, it was a sort of a curl in and then run a wheel route, and the defensive back bid way hard. Yeah, he was he was dust. And it I mean, should have been an, gone. it should have been an easy easy touchdown. Um, and and those are the two plays that. Any good that Garantano does, he always seems to make the cataclysmic, catastrophic, uh, head scratching error that overshadows it, and mm-hmm. and that's just that's the that's what it's been all season for him. He just ha- he ha- it's self destructive, and and he it, can't give himself a break, man. You just you wonder no. like, can this guy do something? And you thought maybe after the Mississippi State game where he played okay, he played pretty well. You know, is this sort of a I don't want to say a rent, you know, is this sort of a reclamation project or whatever and week later nope it's he still he still did what he he reverted back to form there are fundamental things in his performances that just scream that i i I do not believe and i i want to be very very crystal clear about this i am not calling him or anyone else on that team a loser but i'm saying they they're not inherently winners because when it gets to nut cutting time they don't make winning plays. When it comes to those moments, he breaks down a lot. And that is a character trait. That doesn't mean that, you know, he's not trying. It doesn't mean, of course he wants to win. Don't be stupid. He wants to win. According to Ryan, he wants to undermine his teammates. Not yet. Well, not I, what I'm saying. I, I mean, I, I, I think that... I know, I'm that, just kidding. ...that he is... But not really. I'm, but I'm he saying has, He has tendencies that when you watch on film... Like you go, I mean, when he when he does stuff, when he messes up, I mean, think again about that pass to Wood Anderson that he missed against Florida. Think that one that he missed against Jennings. It's like, how can you do the things that you do and then do that? How does that happen? There's a lot of times where you watch him and you go, "There's no way that should happen." He might have made that throw to Jennings. 15 times from pra- in practice and yes. practice every time. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead, Ryan. To, I was just saying, to clarify what I was saying, what what I'm saying is not that he was like, oh, these guys suck. I better, But I'm saying it's the same mentality that causes a guy to come right down the court and jack up a 30-foot three when the game's on the line because he's saying, if I don't make this shot, no one else is going to. No, and it's I, the same mentality, I think, that leads right. a quarterback to doing that. I'm just, you know, I was just messing with you. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I there's, a lot of, there's a lot of instances of things being done with the best intentions yeah. turning out awful. Yeah, and, and, the, the, and Garantana's the, intentions there were to score a touchdown. The exactly. Ro- the he road, wasn't. He didn't. He didn't throw the ball into the end zone. He right. reached over trying to score a touchdown and lost it. The yep. road to hell is paved with good intentions. Now so, we're getting off the philosophy I'm just saying that it, it's baffling to me when you like because people make mistakes on film, but like normally you're like, oh yeah, he thought the the safety was here, but then the safety was there, or. You know, the ball just kind of slipped out of his hand. He didn't get his footwork right. You, I can see what he was doing. It just it, it went wrong. Garantano has mistakes on film that you watch, and they are legitimately inexplicable in every way. When you go, what? And that will always be at a position where you have to be reliable, where you have to be one of the most consistent guys on the field, and when you have to – whether even the good quarterbacks have to manage games. I mean, people talk about game manager, game manager. Every quarterback's got to manage the game. They're the only one who touches the ball pretty much every single snap. So that's that's what that position is. And when things are in that moment, how can anyone in that program have any faith that the right thing's going to happen when you get to those spots? Because if the guy, 
it's like that guy who's like, you know, you're playing baseball and you've got four or five hits thrown together in a row. And then that guy comes to the plate and he's like, oh, for his last 30. He always strikes out in the final innings and you go, I don't like how I don't like where this is going. He's going to he's going to swing at three curveballs in the dirt. And that's the ball game. I mean, that that affects everyone that affects everyone. And that is why I think this is the time to pivot to this discussion that this is why Jeremy Pruitt is in one heck of a pickle right now, because I, I'm going to, I don't want to assume anything, but it I'm sounds going, like Brian Maurer is not going to be able to play Saturday. Even if the, even if he has not technically had two quote concussions and quote in the past two weeks, he has been in the protocol twice in two weeks and maybe, maybe three times in, in three weeks because of the, the blast he took against South Carolina, even or Georgia, even though that was more to the midsection, he still, that was a really nasty hit. And, and so unless you've got an army of, of medical people who can guarantee you that he has not had two concussions, he, he passes everything in the protocol. He's okay. I don't, I don't know how that's going to happen. So here's what you are. If you're Tennessee now you go into this game and you say, well, JT Shrout is not proven. Uh, he is. He will make the best throws you've ever seen, and then he'll throw one that you can't tell where he's trying to throw it to. He, you know, almost he, even against Alabama, he, he when he got in there, he, he threw one beautiful pass that was almost a huge play, just a couple inches and a really good defensive back away from being a big play for Tennessee. And, and then he kind of was a deer in the headlights a little bit later. And so you have to say, well, I've either got to start that guy. Or I've got to go back to Garantano, who if it's a close game, everyone knows what's going to happen. So, and a guy who in one of the most critical moments of the season did sort of go rogue and ruin the thing. Let's just call that what it is. I'm not trying to make it personal. I'm saying at a critical time in the season, he went rogue and he ruined that game. He ruined it. And, 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 and you have to tell yourself, he might give me the best chance to win this game but does that not affect the team? Does that not affect, I mean, how, that's why this is just really, really a tough situation, I think. Well, the fact that they're even starting Jared Garantano on Saturday, the fact that they're even thinking about it, says a lot to me about JT Shrout and his ability, which. Or just where he is now. Do we, do we, well, we don't, we don't know they're thinking about it. We just assume they are. Maybe they already have True, behind, yeah, behind the scenes, they very well could have uh, decided that, that, uh, Shroud is their guy, but if, if you're Garantano in that situation, why are you? Why would you stick around if oh, you're yeah. not going to be here next year? I mean, why, why at that point, why? why what? What's they still in, what's end in up it in the for, game Saturday? <laughs> well, yeah, but what's in it if you're if you're thinking about you know next season and your next step individually? Because Ma- Mauer's batting zero 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 on finishing. Games. Well, yeah, but still, <laughs> why would you go out there and subject yourself to getting hit? And oh stuff? no, I agree. I think that he's. I mean, if you're if you're, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that this this. This right I looks mean, like it's going to be his final season at Tennessee. I mean, if, if, if am I crazy saying suggesting that? I mean, no, no. I mean, there's but there's exactly. no benefit to him leaving early because he can't be eligible any sooner. You know, he can just leave yeah, and be a you take less hits and you don't you know That's you don't fair. risk an injury. That's fair. You know, you don't risk you get yourself getting a concussion. So. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Um, but yeah. I, I think they've got to play him though, probably because I think they have to start him if they want to win the game. Yeah. JT Shroud will not win them the South Carolina game. I don't know that he won't. I, I will say this though: the concern here is that do you trust Garantano to win a game? I mean, he I trust him a lot more than I trust JT Shroud. He, he helped you win a game against Mississippi State, but only because he threw seven passes in two and a half quarters. I they, mean, they have to if they put him out there, they have to put handcuffs on him. Yeah, they have to say they're going to have to go back to a check with me offense. Yeah, that, they're going to have to go back to the to the the look to the sideline to get and, the audible. And offense. the minute and the minute you check out of something or, or do something you're not supposed to that we don't approve of, you're out of here. 
but the, the thing with you know, and if if you decide that you're going to start Shroud, your hope is that he benefits from a week of getting first team reps and, yep. a, and a game plan that's geared towards him. That's your only hope. And I know people will say I said the same thing about Brian Maurer that he wasn't ready, um, but just from a, an ability standpoint. Brian Maurer has always been a better quarterback than J.T. Stroud since they've been on campus together. I don't think anybody would question that. Uh, the coaches have said that. We've mentioned that. Uh, coaches staff have said that they like how Maurer has some moxie and has some ability to make some plays. Mm-hmm. Stroud's a little bit more rigid. He's a little more in the pocket, analytical, all that kind of th- all that kind of stuff. And I just, if you if Tennessee wants to lose this game, they'll start Stroud. If they want to win it, I think they have to start Garantano if if Maurer can't go. And I, I wonder. I still think he gives them the best chance of winning this game. Uh, and can you imagine? I mean, just imagine you're there at Neyland Stadium. I think the way the team played overall means that there's there's going to be people there and excited. It's a four o'clock game. The weather should be fine. I think if I've seen the forecast right, which you're not knock on wood. Meteorologist Rucker here with the report. I, I just glance ahead because I hate cold weather, so I'm always looking. But if if they when they get to that moment where they're announcing the starting lineup and they say starting at quarterback, junior Jared Garantano, that place is going to melt down. Like, it's going to be ugly. But, but he got booed the last two times he went out there. He got booed against Mississippi State, and he helped him win the game. So Correct. that, doesn't, that Correct. doesn't matter. People get mad all they want. It just matters if he goes out there and wins well, in the game gonna or not. I think it's going to be a different level now, man. This, that, was a, that was a moment that even, you know. But if you're going to make, make a decision based on if the crowd boos your quarterback or not, then you don't no, need to be making no, 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 That I'm, doesn't I'm, need to be a factor I'm saying does decision. it affect everyone – on the team. We're getting into 2008 Jonathan Crompton territory, by the way, with the whole JG situation, because that's the last time I've seen a, a situation this sort of toxic for a quarterback. Yeah, and, and you're right. It will be that way on Saturday, Wes, if he starts. And, and but I just wonder if they're gonna if they're gonna do this. And, and I'm on record saying this. I I I think you probably have to start Garantano. I think you do if you look at it objectively and say I want to give my team the best chance to win this game that might be your best chance. I mean, maybe not, but... I don't know. I mean, I, I, I struggle with that because look at what we're saying about him. We're saying that you don't trust him to make good checks at the line. We, you clearly don't trust him to get rid of the ball quickly, so he takes sacks in certain situations that can kill drives. You don't trust him to find the open receiver sometimes. What what does he do extremely well that JT Shroud couldn't give you at least some upside in the passing game? Because I'll I'll tell you what I thought. Because Gar- Gar- Garantano used to be safe with the ball, now he's not. Right, and and Saturday when I was watching him, uh, when I was watching the offense with Brian Maurer, I thought, my goodness, I mean may- maybe Garantano really was just the only problem this offense had early in the se- early in the season. I mean it seemed he, like he, it was oversimplifying he, no, it. No, but- I didn't think it was because he was playing at a truly shockingly bad level. Because they're just so much smoother now. They well, get the ball well, to their playmakers. The counterpoint, they- the counter argument to that is you've got Trey Smith who's been playing better. You've got and that's the, true. The two freshman tackles are better now than they yeah. were. Kennedy's better than he was. This is the first time he's made it five games into a season in two years, three years. So I mean, football is not my favorite sport, but I think it's the it's the best team sport that exists. You have to have eleven guys pulling in the same direction, or you're not going to have success. And so I hate to ever say, "Well, there's just this one guy's the problem." But when you watched film early in the season, you thought, "Yeah, the O line's getting beat a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe you could have made a play here." But a lot of it is just two is playing really, really bad football and making bad decisions. And this team, this program, I look at it like this. And I don't, maybe I'm oversimplifying it here. So please, please, before we go to break, tell me if I am. But when I look at this, I see a vast majority of this program heading in one direction. And that one direction is improvement. And I see 
a quarterback when he's out there holding them down. Would would you be That's saying that it, without the play at the goal line Saturday night though? Um, I, I mean, maybe because because, because because he missed the throw to Jennings yeah. nine he, days ago. He helped them win a football game, the SEC game. He did, but then he goes back to doing the stuff that you know it's going to happen. It, you look at the majority of his career, and you say, to me, it's almost like aside from Butch Jones, name one figure that kind of more represents what Tennessee football became and still kind of is. What's that face? A lot of it's two. I mean, that's it the, is because he's played quarterback most yes. of the past two and a half years. And, and I, I, I just, I, I look at it, at that throw to Jennings, and we, we've not even mentioned the play where Jim Chaney, who called a really good game, had a play where he kind of moved Jordan at the last minute, and he kind of flared out, and the Alabama defensive back closed incredibly quickly and made a nice play to kind of shut that off. But that ball needed to be thrown, and that was going to be a big play, and he just kept the ball in his pocket, and. Those kind of things happen too much, man. Yeah, too, they too, just happen too much, and and that I, I refuse to believe that does not have an impact on the people around you. Well, and just Saturday night, like I mean, he's tucking and running for losses on plays where he could throw the ball away and get back to the line of scrimmage and help himself. You know, just plays tucking and running too often in general when he's under when he's under duress. I just I don't know. I see so okay. many. Y'all, y'all throw JT Shroud out there, and you see what gets. I'm just saying, I, I would. No, 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 I, I, Pat, I'm, a, I'm agreeing with you that yeah. I think you have to start Garantano. I'm just saying, there's no way it doesn't impact everyone on the team. It's, it's just, I think it's a tougher decision, though. I really do think it's a tougher decision because Shroud, at least, I mean, he underthrew it, but that deep ball he threw Saturday night shows you why he's intriguing. I mean, he's got an arm on him, and he would probably make some big mistakes, but he might give you some plays. He too. has a heck of an arm, and he can make really good throws. Of course, he also then makes throws, and I'm like, I yeah. don't know who you're trying to throw the ball to. Or maybe you play both quarterbacks. Maybe you alternate a little little bit if you have to go with those two i, I don't know what the because solution when, when is, that fumble play happened jeremy pruitt basically was like garantano get out of my face i'm not looking at you for the rest of the night after I, after he looked at him right in the face and grabbed the his corner face mask, basically he said i'm gonna put jt shroud out here right now that's it's, what it's i like, think of it's you. like it's well, like well the game was over at that point it's too. like the united way snl skit where peyton manning tells the kid to go wait in the port of john yeah <laughs> why are you close the door did i say you could leave <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I just go sit I, the portal at twenty I, minutes. I mean, here's the thing: we got to go to break here because we're gonna run on for way too long. But I, I, I just, I, I want to be clear here that it, it, this is not something that I enjoy talking about. I'm pretty sure everyone else here is the same way because no one likes dumping because on a college we've player. seen what happens to college kids in an environment like this when yep. you become public enemy number one or you become persona non grata. It is not fun, so it, it does not bring me any joy whatsoever. In fact, I actually really do hate discussing this. His family, but I think his family's probably going to be at the game Saturday, yes. and it'll be rough for them. You know, and it's, I hate and, this. But and, this, and this guy has given a lot more time, yes, oh yeah, blood, yes. sweat, all that stuff to Tennessee football than a lot of people that are trashing him ever have and ever will. And, so Jeremy, and Jeremy Brewitt genuinely, and I mean this, genuinely really, really likes him as a kid, really does. They get along. He likes him as a kid, and, and that's why this is probably even tougher for him because – He's trying to say, why are these things happening? So I'm much more likely to feel empathy for the kid in this situation. Yes. yes 99 times yes. out of 100 because yes. of everything they go through and all the work they put in. And you're right, Wes. They care more than anybody out there could imagine. They, it, it bothers them. You know, fans might see players out and think it doesn't even bother him that he did that Saturday night. It's killing him most of the day, I bet. And But 
at the end of the day, this is the box that he built for himself. And, yep. and it's really, really, really unfortunate. And we're going to have more on this. I know that on Thursday, uh, Thursday morning, if nothing happens before then on Thursday morning, I'm sure we'll have another discussion about this because at that point we'll have had another chance to speak with Jeremy Pruitt. Um, but, uh, before we go, See, we were smart about this. We're like, we're not going to end this podcast talking about Jared Garantano because that's probably going to ruin all of your moods for an extended period of time. So we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, something else you're probably mad at. So we're, we're sorry about that. We're going to come back and we're going to have to discuss this. I don't like discussing this either, but we're going to have to talk about some of the officiating from Saturday's game. Wes, you and love talking about referees. I don't love it. I wish they would, I wish they would be great at their jobs and Liar. I wouldn't have to discuss it. False. I, how how do you know what's in my head? You're saying you don't know what's in Jared Garantano's head, but you know what's in my head. How's what what how how is that fair? Explain second, this. Because I can read minds. I can read your mind. But you can't read his. Is it because the helmet? He you can't get past the helmet. Is it like a force field. No, I've never been around. I'm not in the same room with him. I can't read his mind. That's a fair point. We're gonna come back. We're gonna go pay some bills, uh, ads, allegedly. products, services, allegedly all that. Watch Letterkenny. They're not paying us a dime, but I think I just keep saying that because it's the funniest thing on television. But we'll be back in just one second. Hashtag. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the GoBalls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products and, and services and, Hold up. and we, ads you just heard. We just got a flag thrown on us. By who? By the SEC officials from the other night. What happened? Uh, holding on Ryan. <laughs> were we near the end zone? Is that what happened? Yeah, we were getting close to the red zone because we, we, we were getting close to finishing this we, thing. We got, we got close to the end zone. That, and they started the throwing the flags. And I think here, here's the deal. Uh. That was a game that was as poorly administered uh, as any I can remember. Because if you've got both sidelines legitimately furious at you multiple times, like, and I don't mean like a little bit, I mean like a lot. I could probably just sit, sit out this segment right and hand it over to Goval's 24-7 coordinator of officials, Wes Rucker. Here's the thing. They have a very tough job. They have an extremely tough job. And I would never in a million years want to do it. I just, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't but, want to. But... Um, they if should you, be better at if it. If you agree to the terms and conditions of your job, you need to be better than what we saw in that game. And, and I think that that it needs to be mentioned. There's a couple things, a couple factors to play here. One is that anytime, as Pat said earlier, anytime you play a team that is bigger, stronger, more physical, and more experienced than you, you are almost always going to have more penalties than that team because you're going to have to try to skirt the rules a little bit sometimes to hold them back. That's just common sense right i mean that that's how this thing goes but uh that's the one thing the other thing was this though tennessee was the least penalized team in the sec coming into that game yes and and then had a bajillion 13 called and then a few more that were declined in one game yeah they went they went in the game with uh their season average was five penalties a game for 50 yards um and their season high was at florida when they had seven penalties for 75 yards in the first half i think they had against alabama they had nine penalties for mm-hmm. 58 yards something like six in the first quarter now um it, it should be pointed out that a lot of them were penalties absolutely i mean bryce thompson uh did grab henry ruggs on the mm-hmm. opening series yes he did 
Uh, I didn't think the I didn't think Nigel Warrior deserved the holding penalty on the tight end in the end zone, but on Tennessee's drive later, Terrell Lewis grabbed Dominic Wood Anderson as he went out in the flat. I mean, he just grabbed him real quick and let go, and they called it. So at least they got those right. And uh, Bama, but the th- thing, the that thing that doesn't get called on Bama a lot because they're really smart well, they, doing that. They're coached well, really well. It's like Todd McShay said during the uh, during the game. It's because we're in Tuscaloosa. It gets the conspiracy theorists going. Yeah, and I, the, uh, and I don't believe that, but but I do think that I, it's if people who are conspiracy theorists have a lot have have, have evidence now. Uh, I I think the and, and Jeremy Pruitt's big. He went on a spiel about it on Monday when he was asked about the officiating. I think his points of contention, legitimately, and he's right, were inconsistency of calls. We still don't know what targeting is. Nobody knows. No. Um, and but especially, I do think, I th- I do think Batuli targeted them. Especially when they say in the stadium that, hey, we're going to go check and see if they scored. And then they come back and be like, oh, there's targeting. That was weird to me. That didn't make any sense to me. Um, and then also the accountability. We, we don't know why the official Hubert Owens threw the flag on Daryl Taylor for the quote-unquote unnecessary roughness, which was a joke of a call. It was single-handedly. It, that immediately went to the Mount Rushmore of the worst calls I've ever seen in a football game. I mean, It, he, it really did. It was he, that bad. He literally stood up. Mm-hmm. Did he use Mac Jones to brace himself? Yeah, but he didn't shove him to the ground. He didn't, he, because he was he sitting on him like take, a hammock. He didn't, he, didn't, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't take his helmet and rub it in the dirt. Ryan thought it was a penalty. I'm no, I, I would, look, he did something on purpose. Was it a minuscule thing that should Ryan, probably not Ryan have been flagged? Ryan would have thrown the flag, too. No. Was it a minuscule thing that should probably should not have been a penalty? Yes. Is it ticky-tack? Absolutely. But did he do something intentionally that if you know an official's paying attention could be called a penalty? He did. Was it, it rough, was Ryan? Was it roughness? That, that, that was <laughs> Let me ask you that. It was a dumb play. That, that was like a the only, that was the kind of call that like you would see from a very, very spiteful, very, very nerdy hall monitor. But the account- that's what that was. The accountability was part of it is though, is that after games, we talk to coaches, we talk to players, everybody gets their side of what happened. We yes. get to hear Jeremy Pruitt say, Hey, here's what happened on the fumble. We get to hear players talk about that particular play. We don't get to talk to Hubert Owens and say, Hey Hubert, why did you throw that flag? Or we don't get to talk to other officials and say, Why did you throw this flag? Why did you know how did how did these things how did just, just some just of the send, rules send of the a pool, Send a pool reporter in there. We don't. We don't have that. No, something we should. And, and so we don't. But yeah, but there's no access to that. There, you hardly ever see that anymore, unless it's like a NCAA basketball tournament. You get a pool reporter with the officials, and that's it. That's it. I mean, that does. We don't get the same. Uh, they don't have to deal with the same accountability. They don't have to answer for why they made a certain call. Um, and, and Pruitt said that there were a lot of plays that he saw that that were penalties, and I think there were some that were. Uh, the holding penalty, they said it was on one anymore. So it was actually on Tim Jordan. But it was a hold. It was a hold. I mean, it, it, he grabbed the guy around the shoulder pad. But how, and, do you and say, him. how do you say holding 64 when it was holding nine? Like, those guys are separated by like 100 pounds and a foot well, that, of that, human size. When, when, when officials can't even identify who got penalties right, that's a bad, that's all, to me, that's a bad, that's a bad reflection on them. I, um, it is. It, but it, I, the other thing Pruitt said Monday is that there were three or four calls that he thought were wrong. Obviously, Daryl Taylor is one of He said that's absolutely not a penalty. I think he's still miffed by in the red zone. Uh, I think it was in the second quarter. They shift Jerry Antano out to play wide receiver, and I think it's Tim Jordan's about to take a direct snap. Alabama was still adjusting to it, and they were ready to go. And the, line, and the side judge runs, blows the play dead for some reason. Goes Y'all, and talks to the referee. Maybe, There's no announcement. Maybe a play clock issue. That's the, the only clock. thing I can think of. Yeah, but you would hear the you'd hear the referee say, "Okay, can y'all put the slay clock at this time?" You never. They never was no. There was no explanation for it. Yeah. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I think he, that's what it was, but it, but it was just a it was just a, a mystery. It was just a mystery stoppage of the game, and you know I'm sure the official didn't do that because they saw Alabama was scrambling. I don't think that's probably what happened, but he, what's what's the explanation there? It was really bad timing. I, it was confusing. a very Tennessee thing. To I was confused by why they didn't announce that they were looking for targeting on the targeting play. I also don't know what Daniel Batuli is supposed to do different, and that's pretty much what Pruitt said. I mean, he he hit him with the crown of the helmet i mean he led with his helmet and baduli's done that before mm-hmm. uh, i think he got a targeting last auburn. season against auburn when he did the same thing uh, but that guy was getting held up i mean jerry judy's lowering his head six inches from the ground at the goal line trying to score what's he supposed to do it's I, a very I, small target to hit yeah and so you know that's a tough call but it was probably you know by the letter of the law it's a right call uh, that's not what I, you were saying I, saturday I, night i'm glad you've changed your stance uh, on that well, I, I still don't know what else he's supposed to do here, here's here's why it's I have not a problem intentional. With, I mean, yeah. And, and this was not this was not at all exclusive only to you know on, only to this game Saturday night. But but basically, fundamentally, there is a rule in place, and it's for the very right reason of of, of player safety. But you've got a situation where. Uh, but the problem, uh, the problem with that play is to me is that the offensive player gains an advantage by lowering his head. Yes. Yeah. Because you put yourself in a situation where you put in a rule that if it's called correctly means that either two things can happen. You can either try to tackle that guy or you can let him score a touchdown. And if you try to tackle the guy, you're probably going to target him because that's the only way to do it in that situation. And, well, the way to do and, it is and, you... and, you're, and you're not. And so you've put in fundamentally an unfair rule. It's for a very right reason. But that to me, I mean, we, we talk about targeting a lot. Like I, I – I don't understand it. I don't think any of us really do. Um, I do think after replay, um, maybe they could have called unnecessary roughness for the hit on Maurer, maybe, but it definitely wasn't a target. So Batuli came in kind of late on the play. That's my thing. Like, if he's trying to make the tackle and he's, you know, if he was if he was up trying to make the tackle when, he, when Judy was up higher, he wouldn't have been in that position to make the hit. He came in a little bit late on the play. Yeah, it's a bang-bang it's a play at the goal. It line. is. You're trying to keep him from not scoring. I, I do think Pruitt also thought – I think he definitely thought that there were should have been something on the Mauer play, and he was confused that he they called targeting and picked it up. Because if they call if they call unnecessary roughness and targeting, they can still at least yeah, keep he, the penalty. He was confused. Yeah. He was confused maybe why there wasn't roughing. It can't be targeting. It been. I mean, there's that wasn't targeting. I didn't think it was either uh, after seeing it, but you know, uh, you know, Henry Totoa that play had um, that play included a roughing the passer, yeah, too. And so even if they had determined that play was not targeting, which it was then they would have still gotten the 15 yards anyway. So, the problem with the, the – And I think there was another play in the – you can't remember when it was, and I haven't seen it yet, um, where Garantano got his helmet knocked off. Um, I'm wondering if he thought – because he, he said he, he – I don't he might have – it was a passing reference on Monday when Pruitt said that he thought they took shots at their quarterbacks right. a couple of times. And so I'm wondering if the play where Garantano got his helmet knocked off, any sort of hit high to the quarterbacks are yeah. usually penalized these days. And so I'm wondering if that was one. They didn't put Shroud in the game at that point because I think they – I think they went to the Wildcat at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's how they got around that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think a lot of the penalties that were thrown were, were right calls. Correct. Uh, they weren't letting anything go in terms of the defensive backs and the wide receivers. There's a lot of grabbing, a lot of pulling on both sides. I think Alabama had four pass interference penalties on mm-hmm. on on them and i think all of them and were legit all of them were legitimate because i wonder about that one where, where palmer acted but, like he could have gotten a yellow card for simulation i don't know yeah, if that yeah. one was P. But, but you know it just seemed like the referee it seemed like the officiating crew were throwing a flag like every other play that's what it felt like i'm sure it frustrated both sides uh, i don't know why some officials call things that much while others don't um and so you, yeah you you just kind of tennessee ultimately has to 
to get by this and stop feeling aggrieved and get ready for South Carolina. Yeah, they yeah. do. And, but that's why I think we'll, we'll discuss it today and then, you know, probably just move on. But, uh, but I, I do think it's worth mentioning. I mean, we're Monday morning quarterbacking this and, it, and you can't recap the, you can't recap and tell the story of that game. Here's when officiating really matters. When you cannot tell the story of a game without mentioning something that an official got wrong, they're, 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 they're a part and, of the and, game story. They and, are, the, the game would have been drastically different without them because that Taylor penalty. That's the big one. That it is it the changed one the me, game. That, if you can't see how, how much that changes the game, and, and I, I, I'm on record right now saying I think Alabama wins that game no matter what. Because Alabama just finds a way to win when it needs to a lot of times, and Tennessee invariably finds ways to lose. But, so that uh, that that's. But I would have liked to have seen that. Well, and what I think happens? The game if, deserved that. Yeah, and what happens if Tennessee ties it on the next drive? They would have been getting it with good field position, probably uh, with Alabama punting from what its own fifteen or twenty yard line, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so and they that was the second straight three and out too. Yeah. And so they, and at that point, momentum was with Tennessee. Yep. And then Tennessee's defense is off the field, celebrating. Yeah. They, but, you know, the, you switch off when you think you've got to stop. Well, I was going to say, have to go back on the field. And Alabama, that's what you know. That's what great teams do is you when they ten, get a chance. You see ten things worse than that in every game. To, to your point, though, Wes, what happens if Tennessee ties the game? Then Alabama doesn't score. Do they even change quarterbacks? They've got other quarterbacks on the roster, including Talia Tungavailoa. Yeah. Do they play somebody else because Mac Jones wasn't getting anything done? I mean, that you could have at least forced Alabama's hand to make them win that game and make it a lot more interesting down the stretch. And yeah, we, we now. Never know. I, I just, you know, because we talk about what's going through Garantano's head when he makes that decision at the goal line. I don't know what's going through that referee's decision when he makes that call because he knows, he knows darn well that that's a third and long stop, that momentum in the game has changed, that if you make a call right there, you are fundamentally changing the game. This is not like an, an offsides penalty or something like that on a second and six play, something. This is a third and long stop, second straight three and out, teams off the field. And you call that, you call that, that is, that's why that immediately went to the Mount Rushmore because Tennessee had to have so many things go right to even have a chance in that game. And a lot of those things did go Tennessee's way. Um, and, and then things like that happen. And this team's not good enough to overcome that stuff. It's, it's just not. And, and that's the part where I hate, really do hate that we're discussing it because I think we should mostly be discussing how well Tennessee played in that game, and then what the hell Tennessee does at quarterback going forward. That, that should be what we're discussing. But the way that game went, uh, it had to be discussed. Because Tennessee, to, to win that game, Tennessee had to muck it up a little bit. Let's be honest about that. Tennessee had to muck it up. Tennessee had to be chippy. Tennessee had to do some things, had to, to grab some shirts, you know, tug some jerseys. They had to do some stuff to, 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 to muck that up and make it a game. But um, that, it just felt like, one horrible mistake by Tennessee's offense and one horrible, horrible mistake from the referees were kind of the stories of that game. And, and I, hate to, I hate to see that because that is a call that any official just should not want to make and should not make. Even if he thought he saw something there, he just hit the quarterback. He's not hurting him. He's probably running his mouth and saying something like they all do. But he didn't. It didn't look like he did. And he just got up. Basically, he and, did, and it's bad it, when it just, it, it, that 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 as someone who does not care who wins the game, that still bothered me on a fundamental level. And, and, it, and it looks even worse when and within five minutes on 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 Twitter, there's somebody bringing up the clip of what Mac Wilson did. I think it was to Jake Fromm. I think it was maybe in last year's. It was either in the championship game a couple years ago, or it was in the SEC championship game last season, mm-hmm. where he sacked him and he like takes him by the back of the helmet and shoves his back of the helmet uh, after sacking him to like, you know kind of get off me, kind of a get off me kind of shove to the back of the head, not called, 
but what Gar- what Daryl Taylor did, which is far less anything to everyone except Ryan. If it, it was ticky tack, okay. And if you're gonna, if you're, it's not is, but that's called and and that's the 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 most the craziest part of it to me is that it was called unnecessary roughness when he did nothing rough. Well, what else do you call or it? necessary? I mean, yeah, what else? You do don't you? call anything, Ryan. That's the answer. <laughs> I mean, you you call unsportsmanlike conduct, maybe, maybe that's what you call. I mean, I I, I just. That to me, in a moment like that, that's why conspiracies exist. I don't believe them. I'm going to be very honest about that. I do not, do not believe. Well, but you are fanning the theories. you are fanning the flames of it though. because I'm saying yes, I am because that because <laughs> I don't I'm, believe in conspiracies. No, but, but here's why they should be no, believed. No, what I'm saying very clearly is people who want to believe these things now have really, really accurate things to point to to say. Okay, explain this, please. And, and that's inexplicable. You can't explain why he made that call because from any angle on no planet ever did that make sense. I watched it live. I, I was sitting right there. We were watching it, and I, and I was watching to see, you know, was Taylor going to get to the quarterback in time before the play because I thought he might blow him up for a sack. And I was lo- looking right there. And what I saw there you see 10 things worse than that in every single game. I mean, every single game. Watch when a running back gets up after a play. Watch when a guy pops him and kind of shrugs his shoulders and kind of gives him a little shrug afterward. That stuff is never called, ever. And then it was called right there. And, and, and when it didn't even really happen, and, and in a moment like that where very clearly you are fundamentally changing the game by that call, you can't do that, man. You just can't do that. And that is, I don't know when Pruitt me talking about accountability and really, we should have asked him, and we didn't, and that's our bad. But does he mean that they need to be made available for interviews I, and I, things like that, or or did he? Does he mean like the SEC needs to publicly explain this yeah. call was bad? We got this wrong. Right. I think that's part of it. Is that there's no explanation of what went wrong on a call like that. I'm just guessing here, of course, but I think it's that, and the fact that officials are never publicly reprimanded when there is a, a bad call made by a, a specific official but or you know, a specific you, you know what happens? Like, I, I say this all the time. I, I, we got to get out of here soon, but I'm going to say this really quickly. It's not like a very, very clear example, but to me, this is what I think about. A judge, right, is someone, you know, who, in the courtroom who decides in many cases whether someone has broken the law or not. If a judge gets a DUI, he still gets arrested. And an official is out there calling penalties in a game and they should be to make, to think that they're above reproach to think that you don't have to come out and publicly make them accountable on what planet is that right? It's not, I don't think people, you want to give people faith in what they're seeing, show them numbers, be accountable, talk about it because conspiracies exist because people protect people and don't come out and talk. By the way, and, and they don't, they don't, they don't, they're not scored. Like I'm sure they're scored every week and I'm sure those scores are available to coaches. And I'm sure that there are reports made. And I know that Steve Shaw will, will talk to any coach who calls him day or night, but you have to explain some things to the public. If you want to be credible, in my opinion, I, I, I just, I'll, I'll say this, give, give credit to Jeremy Pruitt, I think for standing up for his players and, and being willing to criticize the officials after the game and, and also still doing it in respectful manner Monday and letting people know, Hey, I, I was wrong about a few of those calls I was questioning, but I was absolutely not wrong about some others. And I'm not ex- accepting the explanation because I don't get it. And that's, it's unfortunate that it happened that way and, and credit him for not backing down and doing the 
you know, the thing coaches usually do and say, well, I'm not, co- not going to talk about officiating or whatever. When coaches make huge mistakes, they get fired. When players make big mistakes, they lose their jobs and other people take them. If I go out there and plagiarize someone, I get fired. Everyone else involved in the college athletic directors, they, they get their hires wrong, they're fired. Everyone else in the college football apparatus has to deal with scrutiny and has to deal with accountability. And why are referees any different from that? They should not be. They absolutely should not be. And that's something that I think sports need to address or just put robots out there to call it. I mean, I w- one of the two things, part one of, of the two things, either if you're, if you're going to say these guys are, are above reproach, they're not human, then don't put humans out there. Just have robots call the thing. Part I mean, of it that, is, that's, that's, that's what I think. Part of it is probably wanting them to be just sort of part of the background and not wanting, absolutely not wanting fans to have to worry about which officiating crew is on us. You know, if you, if you publicize more of that, people start paying more attention to them individually. And that's probably not a healthy place for, for a league to have to, to have the game. But I, I do agree with you. More accountability is never a bad thing. And it would be interesting to see what, you know, how that would change the game if, if things were handled that way. I've said it for college basketball for years that um, they need to be publicly uh, accountable because I, I don't think it, it's fundamentally as much of a problem in college football as it is in college basketball where I think it's a huge, huge problem. Um, but, you know, I, 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 listen, we have – they can't hide this stuff anymore. We have HD 4K cameras looking at everything. So we can see all of this. So that's going to add to their level of scrutiny – and I think that's unfortunate when you're someone who has to do a really, really tough job with all these large, really fast humans banging against each other every play. That's difficult. It's a very difficult job. Uh, and maybe the solution is you pay them more, but you make them publicly accountable. Maybe that's the compromise. Maybe you say, listen, we're going we're gonna to make, make this, you know, you're going to be subject to more scrutiny. You're going to have to explain yourself. But to trade that, we'll pay you more money. They have the money. They, they very much have the money. I, I just, I, I think that they're, they have to think outside the box to find a way to fix this because things like this should just not be discussion points after games. They just really, they really shouldn't, but sometimes they have to be. It, it's unfortunate, but yeah, there's a reason that it is being discussed still. Before we get out of here, guys, anything else from that game that uh, really kind of caught your attention or Ryan, anything, uh, any, any recruiting notes, nuggets of note before we get out of uh, here? Yeah, did I, I just say nuggets of note? I did. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've probably got to mention that that uh, one of Tennessee's top in-state targets did decommit from Arkansas on Sunday. Wonder why? Immediately after his official visit to Arkansas. Um, <laughs> never a good sign. He came out and said some good things about the visit, and then a couple hours later, what do you know, he's, he's decommitted. Uh, but, <laughs> that's, that's such a diss. But, but, but Martavius French, the four-star linebacker from Whitehaven High School in Memphis, uh, decommitted. He was there on his official visit with Bryson Eason, the, the, the other four-star linebacker at Whitehaven, and then their teammate, um, to Marion McDonald, the Mississippi State linebacker and DB commitment. Uh, Tennessee recruiting him as more of a, like, kind of a nickel, but already has a big enough frame that he could be a linebacker down the road, too. So, uh, all three of those guys, obviously, big priorities for Tennessee down the stretch. And French was the only one committed to Arkansas. It looked like a Tennessee Arkansas battle because those are the two schools that are pushing for all three after Arkansas recently sort of had its hand forced by Tennessee, I think, and had to offer McDonald. And now that French is decommitted, you would think that's uh, that bodes well for Tennessee's chances. So we'll see where things go from here. I still don't know that they're likely to announce a decision anytime soon uh, because they've talked about doing something on signing day, whether that's in December or February. But certainly with, with Eason, French, and McDonald uh, having taken their official visit to Tennessee earlier this month, 
uh, and Tennessee sort of having the momentum here recently, that development immediately after the Arkansas visit certainly points to Tennessee being in the driver's seat for now, but we'll see see where things go from here. So that's like you've been dating for, for weeks and months, and you go on a date, and you're like, yeah, it was a fun date. Um, and by the way, we're breaking up. Well, and, and, <laughs> it, <laughs> it, strikes so me, it strikes me as maybe the kind of thing that he was thinking, okay, I'm already not leaning toward Arkansas, but I'm going to give them one more shot to, to sort of win me over and see if I want to stick with them. And maybe he didn't see what he needed to see and said, okay, that's, that's that. We're going to go ahead and decommit and just – spend the rest of my recruitment or the next several weeks or whatever as a, as an uncommitted guy before I announce the final decision. I will say before we get out of here that I, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the, I, I think that, um, I, I think Kevon Bennett made some really nice plays in that game. And I think that needs to be mentioned. Uh, the, the t- Tennessee's guys did some, the Jalen McCullough had a really nice sack, uh, late in the game and he's looking, looking like a guy who can help moving forward too. Uh, there are a lot of good positive things happening with this program right now. And, and I think you can objectively note that. Um, which is nice, but, you know, fellas, I think we all know they've got some things to figure out too. They do, and we'll, we'll, we'll learn, learn a lot more about this team even down the stretch and just how far they've come because they've got five, at least I'd say all five are, are winnable on some level. Now that you've they're, seen all, Mis- they're all winnable and they're all losable. Yeah, now that you've seen Missouri play the way it did at Vanderbilt Saturday, they've got five winnable games left on the schedule, and we'll see how they do. So, Ryan, what you're doing is I play the music is you're going to mention – you're going to praise Vanderbilt with everything Tennessee fans have been through. I'm not praising Vanderbilt. In this, in Missouri this, played like trash from what I saw. everything <laughs> we've just heard in this podcast, all these all these people, you just you double-tapped them. You double-tapped them is what you just did right there. You put one in the head for no reason. I mean, Vanderbilt won a game. They, they still aren't good. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, as always, uh, you can find all of us on social media. Uh, I'm Wes Rucker, 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown, 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan, 24-7 on Twitter. Make sure you get him, not the hockey player. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. You can find all of us also on Twitter, twitter.com slash govals247. Uh, Ramey does an awesome job on our Facebook page. Uh, he, can do th- he can do two things, fellas and gals he can lift weights and he can run a facebook page those are the two things that, that he can do very well uh facebook.com slash go 24 7 you can find that there or if you want to get your water straight from the hose go to go 24 7.com it's like this podcast but even better and 24 hours a day and seven days a week come be a member come be a member 30 percent off for an annual subscription right now for less than freaking 10 bucks a month i mean come on that's nothing can you even get a piece like a stick of gum for less than 10 bucks these days don't look it up. The answer is no. Pat, any final thoughts? NBA is back this week, and I'm excited.